Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you something, people. Yesterday, I went out for lunch with my good friend Wesley, and I saw something on the menu that I don't see much anymore, and I first learned about the way they serve french fries in the movie Diner, and they serve it with brown gravy. So I was at this place called Denix, which the original place is in, in uh, the Reading Terminal in Philadelphia, but this one was in South Jersey. And I ordered a French fries with brown gravy. And I'm going to tell you something. It was more of an au jus sauce, but it had meat in it. But it was so good. And I'm going to tell you this, people. If you've never had it, when you sit there, next time you go out to eat, you have to sit there and try it. Because it, it's wonderful. And I'm just going to tell you, that's, that's my culinary tip for today. Anyway, we have a great show today. This gentleman is, uh, he's such a great actor. I'm a big fan. Uh, he Last year, he won the, uh, he was honored, I guess, with the, uh, Carney Award, which if you don't know is for the uh, art, was named after Art Carney, it's for character actors. And a friend of Cooper Talk, Xander Berkeley, was one of his co winners, along with um, Wendy Malick and uh, William Fitchner and William H. Macy. And he's he's a from this area too, a tri state area guy. My guest is Richard Kind. How you doing, Richard? I'm very good, and I'm a fan of French fries with gravy. Is and it? we shouldn't be because we're getting older and they're fattening and not good for us. But aren't they so good? But like they so, are great. So many people have they missed so out good. on them. <laughs> so, I, I, guess, I, I everyone, everyone, you know, I, a few of my friends, you know, saw you were going to be on my show today, and then, and, and, you know, Rose Abdul and Mark Belsman, actors who love you, and uh, oh, I love them. Yeah, they said. Now, now, I want to find out. You, you grew up in Bucks County, I believe. Now, did you always yeah. wanna, did you always want to act, or how did this whole career start? You know, I, I, uh, yes, I did always want to act. I always wanted to. My grandparents were for, lived in New York City. I loved uh, going. I, my, they used to take me to Broadway shows. They took me to Leonard Bernstein's Young People concert. So I was raised in the arts, and I always wanted to be an actor. However, you also want to be a fireman. You also want to be a baseball player. You want to be a rock star. This was, I, I didn't really take it seriously. Uh, and uh, my dad wanted me to be a jeweler, and he wanted me to go to law school and business school and then take over his, his jewelry store. So that's what I was supposed to do, but I really did want to be an actor. It's, it's uh, what I always wanted to do. I, I think it was the show. I did Oliver. I did Fagan and Oliver in fifth grade. And if you ask me when did it start, that's when it started. I really liked doing it. Was I any good? No. I was horrible. <laughs> I didn't know what acting was till about 25 years ago, but uh, nevertheless, I, I was lucky enough to make a living even doing it for, the, for those, that time before 25 years ago, but that's about the time when I really found out what acting was about. But I used to play, you know, I could play, I was loud, I was funny, so I got away with it for a lot of years. Now, you said, you know, in fifth grade you're in a play, and then you said your father wanted yeah. you to go to you know, go to law school and take over the jewelry business. And now I know you ended up going to Northwestern. Now, did you go uh, as, as an acting major? or And how did you talk to your father no. and saying, I want to act? No, I went as a, uh, I was pre-law, but I was in more plays than most of the people who were in the acting school because I really liked doing it. But it was like, you know, my life is an extracurricular activity. That's just what it is. I, I, it's like uh, I'm still going to play practice. And uh, I was supposed to go to law school, and my dad's best friend, a guy named Steve Holzman, who is still with us and I still love dearly, uh, he's the one who said, you know what, try it, 
because when you're 40, you'll kick yourself that you never tried it. You'll be resentful. You'll be resentful of your children and your wife and your parents. <laughs> so I tried it, and I was okay, and I enjoyed the life, and I just kept doing it. You know, I'm, in a funny way, I'm very liberal with my politics, and I'm very conservative with my life. It's like, okay, I chose to do this. It takes a lot to get out of acting. It takes a lot to drop your profession and then have to go do something else. In fact, I'm realizing it now. It's just I didn't want to go interviewing. I didn't want to get another resume. I didn't want to choose a profession. I didn't want to move from the town that I was in. I just stayed with it, and, and I did it. And now I'm as old as I am, and I'm just stupid. I was, where was I? Why didn't I, why didn't I take that other fork in the road? You know, when you come to the fork in the road, why didn't you take it? Well, now you, now, you graduated Northwestern, and then now I know you eventually went to uh, Second City. How long after you graduated Northwestern did you go to Second City? I was about, uh, I was in New York, so I would say about four, four and a half years. What happened was, is um, during uh, a period when Eddie Murphy was on Saturday Night Live, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Brad Hall, Gary Kroger, and um, uh, who was the fourth? Paul Barras, who was uh, one of the writers. Uh, they had formed a company in Chicago called Practical Theater Company, and they were very, very successful. They came on gangbusters. They were sort of the steppenwolf of improv, and uh, down and dirty, you know, no, no real, uh, not a lot of rules. They were, they were loud and rambunctious, and they got founded by Second City, or by, by uh, SNL, and they went to New York. So while they were there, I had gone to Northwestern with them, and I, I used to go to the parties. I even went to SNL. And they said, you should go to, to Chicago and do a show for a theater company called the Practical Theater Company. So I did. I went and, uh, and I, I, uh, there were about nine of us in the company. And we wrote a show that was supposed to last maybe a month. And I think it lasted about eight months. And during that first month or two, the owner of Second City saw, he saw us opening night and he said, come to my office the next day. And a week later, I was in Second City. Now, were so you, I was doing two shows at once. Now, when you joined Second City, were you on the main stage? Or did you have to take and I went right to the... I, there, are, there are people who were, had my face on a dartboard because they hated me. I, went, I didn't have to go through <laughs> touring company. I never took classes. I, I, and I was no good. That's just it. I was, no, I was a good actor. So, you know, you do the first hour and a half which is a set show. It's all the sketches. And uh, so I did that. But when it came to improv, I, I was terrible. I think I remained terrible uh, <laughs> through my whole four and a half years. I was, I was adequate. There are people who think I'm good at it. I, I'm really not. I'm not that good at improv. But I was good at doing the show. I, I was a reactor. You know, they say acting is reacting. I really was a reactor. I, uh, you know, if there's a good cop, bad cop, you know, high stakes, low stakes. I was always the reactor. I, I used to follow everybody else. Now, what made you leave Second City after four and a half years? Oh, my God. That, you just said it. Four and a half years, enough already. You got to go make a living. You know, you're just, you're just biding your time. Yeah, uh, improv is... Do you do improv? Do you know a lot of people who do improv? Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to do stand-up, so I know improving on stage, but I do know a lot of people who do improv. I know a lot of Second City Well, people. okay. Well, there's a big difference between stand-up and improv. A huge, huge difference. But 
uh, improv is, is a young people's sport. You're, you're really making, playing pretend with everything, with uh, furniture, with where you are and taking, you know, nothing is set. You're just, you're letting your mind go. And as you get older, your mind becomes a little more stale and a little more rigid. Okay, so, but when you're young, you just accept everything and you can fly anywhere on stage. And after four and a half years, enough already. There's no real money to be made in improv because you're usually doing it live. It doesn't work that well on TV. And anybody who thinks that uh, whose line is in any way is improv, it's not. It's party games. It's people who are very funny who can act silly under the restraints of uh, of the rules of the game and yet still be really, really funny. And I think those guys are supremely funny. They are on the flip side. In live improvisation, they're stupendous. They can keep a scene going. That Ryan Stiles, he can keep a scene going for hours and hours. He's so good. And on whose line is it anyway? They're facile, but they're not good improvisers, really. Uh, they're just good at party games. So you're done with your four and a half years, you're up. You know, you, you, you're now, do you decide to go to New York? you decide to go to L.A.? Or what is your direction? Well, well I, I got to tell you, I was terrified to leave Second City because, you know, when you're in Chicago, you're a star. Like, Steppenwolf people, the stars are Goodman. Or you work with the, the Chicago Bears or you're a Cub or Second City. You are, you're, a, you're a landmark. So it was really difficult to say... I'm going to give up the comfort of, of success because while you're in Second City, you're, you're, you're the most successful there is. There may be better improvisers out there, but nobody's making the money that Second City pays. Nobody has the, uh, the, the luster, the sexiness of Second City. It's a landmark. So I was, I was really tough to leave. And I, uh, I said that I was, I went to LA because that, that's where you go. It's now time for me to go into TV. I'm in my, uh, early thirties, I guess. And, uh, it's, it's time to start making a living and be a star. Most people go and try and become stars in their early twenties. I was a waiter during my early twenties. Then they go in their late twenties. I was getting my education on a second city stage. So, uh, you know, it's about time that I left. It took me about eight months to get out of there. I gave my my notice. I said I'm leaving, and about eight months later is when I left. Um, I will name drop, make your show a little a little more uh, uh, you know namey and you know name drop. But it was really George Clooney who got me out to to California. He we had done a, a pilot together, and I kept going back to Second City and, and staying there. And he goes. You know, enough already. You gotta, you gotta come and work. And he was right. Uh, and so I finally bit the bullet and went out there around January or pilot season. And that's what I did. No, 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 I didn't. I said I was going to. I went out there in October, the following year. Uh, I left in September, September, October, right after summer. And right, and right away got a TV series. And it wasn't a comedy. It was an hour show. It was a drama. A Stephen Cannell show. What so, was that uh, like? What was that because like? Because I wanted... I, it was called... I, I, it's called... The show was called Unsub. Now, I call it Unsub What Unsub. 
because people used to say, what show is it? And they go, unsub. They go, what? I go, unsub. <laughs> but unsub stood, stood for unknown subject, okay? That's what the FBI called serial killers uh, who were, you know, on the rampage, were out there, and we were the FBI group that went chasing after serial killers. Now, let me tell you something. The guy who ran Cannell was a guy named Peter Roth who now heads up Warner Brothers TV. That show, Unsub, was a huge failure. 11 shows and out. But we were the first of the law and orders or the CSIs. We were a procedural. And it just wasn't done back then. It simply wasn't done. And every time I see Peter, he just looks at me and goes, Richard, we were the first. And we were. We were the first procedural show was it any good? No. Uh, was it? Uh, was I any good? Uh, terrible. I had a great cast at the time. It was David Soul. Uh, do, do you know who M. Emmett Walsh is? Oh, yeah. Amazing actors. Yeah. M. Emmett Walsh, he was in it. A guy named Kent McCord from Adam 12, he was in it. And we had great guest stars. Grace Zabriskie, a guy who later went on to one of those uh, 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 procedurals, a guy named Paul Guilfoyle. He was a villain on the show. I mean, it was, it was really innovative, and it was based on Thomas Harris's book, Manhunter, which is the book that Silence of the Lambs is based on, you know, with Hannibal Lecter, chasing a serial killer. And we were the FBI group, but it was a disaster. But we were the first. What was it like for you to play drama? Because, you know, coming from Second City, you're improv and you're doing comedy. Was it no, something? No, 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 no. And, and exactly, Steve, you are exactly saying what I don't want anybody to say. What do you mean, what it was it like to play drama? It's what I'm trained in. I'm an actor. I went to Northwestern. I did more drama than, than anything that, that, that I do. I only did Second City. Remember, I was thrust into Second City. I didn't want to do it. I was in New York. I didn't have a job. Friends of mine said, oh, we have an improv troupe. I'll try improv. I'll go to Chicago. I'll, I'll do improv for three months. Why not? I'm an actor. I'm a working actor. So you go and you do that. The important thing is, is I didn't say no to anything. I just acted. Okay? And the sad thing is, is I still do that. And I just don't say no to anything. I'll do radio. I'll do a play. I've done an opera. I've done, I'll do anything. I, I just do it all. I was nominated for a pony for a searing, horrible uh, character, horrible, vicious man in a Clifford Odette's play with Bobby Cannavale. Uh, and Rachel Brosnahan was in it, who's now Mrs. Maisel. Uh, I mean, really, just a very, very strong uh, play. I, I do anything. So you can't ask me, how did it feel to do drama after I've been doing comedy? To be honest, it felt great because for four and a half years, all I've been doing was comedy. So, and yet at Second City, there were many times. Have you been to Second City before? Uh, not in Chicago. Not in Chicago. But in Chicago, which really separated us from uh, uh, like the Groundlings or UCB, is we did, I don't want to say a lot, but a fair share of dramatic scenes. I did a scene that took place in front of the Vietnam Wall. Now, was it funny? Of course, because a lot of times the way to get across a political message is to is to lighten it 
with uh, something memorable like laughing as opposed to crying. But we did our fair share of, of drama on that stage. Uh, you know, Second City was more about acting rather than playing the characters that, uh, that UCB or the Groundlings does. However, I think that UCB and the Groundlings are, are stupendous. I think they're fantastic. And they're, a lot of times I like the, their wit better than the wit that, uh, that, that, that we had on our stage. I think that they are so sometimes so much more funny. When you got a guy like Phil Hartman, uh, you know, and, and, and some of those people. Uh, although um, Second City had, uh, who's he with? Uh, Tina Fey and Steve Carell. I'm going to tell you a very funny story. When I graduated from Second City, went out to L.A., did all of the TV shows that I was doing, I would come back and I would see the shows. So one time, you know, I would see Tina Fey and Steve Carell and Steve Colbert. Uh, and um, I, I mean, they, they, were, they were just fantastic. And I would look at them and I would go, oh, I pray for these kids. It's going to be so tough for them. L.A. is going to eat them alive. I just hope, I, I don't know whether there's any place in L.A. for these people. Needless to say, I was wrong. But I swear to God, that is how how I felt about them. All I had was hope. And just, I hope that you guys go out there, but know that where you are now, this is the best it's going to be, because I just don't know whether there's a place for you. Okay, I was wrong. That's, you know, well, hey, you know, that's a, that's a good story. And it's just funny. I want to ask you real quick a, a story. I want to hear some of the stories. I know you mentioned George Clooney um, earlier. Yeah. And I've heard that you. Yeah, no, I, don't go into, I don't go into a lot of the, 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 the fabled stories with, the, with George. The know, practical he, jokes. You he, know. he gets his own, uh, you know, he, he gets his own uh, uh, PR. Okay. But what do you want to know? No, because I heard he played some good practical jokes on you throughout the years. Yeah, but I'm not going to talk about that. Okay. That's been talked about way, way. Talked about way too much. All right, no problem. So now, now after you uh, unsubs done, you have to bounce back. You know, you, you're an actor. You ended up working with Carol Burnett. Uh -huh. What was what was it like working with Carol yeah. Burnett? Because she's such a master. Uh, she was. She is the greatest. Um, what happened was, is after uh, after I did that TV show, you know, you start going out. I love doing guest spots on TV shows. I love it. I like, it's like a repertory company. It's you get to do all sorts of different parts. Uh, but there is a stigma to doing guest spots because then people think, oh, you can't carry a TV show. You can only do the guest spots. But one of the shows that I did was a show called Anything But Love, and uh, Richard Lewis uh, was on that show with Jamie Lee Curtis. They were great to me. I had a great time, and it was a really good character, and, and uh, one of the producers of that show had partnered with, uh, um, uh, with Carol to create a show, and I remember going to the audition and there was a long hallway with chairs and I was the only person in the, uh, sitting in, in that row. And instead of the casting director or some flunky coming out to get me, Carol came out into the hallway and she said, oh, Richard Kind? And I look and I go, Carol Burnett, and I go, and she just put her arms out and she goes, I've heard such wonderful things about you. Come on in, let's play. So right from the get-go, she wanted to see me at my best. And I think that is a great quality about her. I think it's a quality that 
uh, Hollywood should adopt. And uh, she was just wonderful. Uh, I, I loved her as a person. Uh, certainly working with her was the greatest. She is a very funny woman uh, and appreciates good comedy. I think the interesting thing about Carol is she was not the wittiest of people. You know, she could, could she toss off a one-liner? Not really, but really appreciated them. But her sense of fun and comedy uh, and her, her, her interaction with an audience while performing in front of a camera was astounding. She could just reach every person in that audience. I, I, I just, I loved her. She is, and she is as nice as her reputation. Uh, she also knows her reputation and will quite often make fun of it. You know, I mean, she's got a foul mouth and she loves making dirty jokes and appreciates dirty jokes. She can really tell a story. She's great at storytelling. Uh, you know, and that's, that's the type of person she was. Now, that must be awesome. That must be a great feeling also when she knows you and you knows your work. I mean, it just be one of those things. It must be just a great feeling that you're like, wow, this, this is a legend and she knows of me. I know. And I'll tell you something that I always remember, and I could be 180 degrees wrong, but the first night that we, that we taped, I was playing a bartender, and she was playing like a, a private eye, okay? And she's standing across from me, and she's magnificent. She's absolutely magnificent, standing there, getting off the line. She knows how to pour it out, everything like that. But her hand was shaking with nerves. I don't know why, but it's just something I remember. And for some reason... I, was I nervous? Of course, I always get nervous, but when I get in front of an audience, I don't get nervous, and I don't shake, and I'm, I'm confident. And I certainly knew my lines, everything like that, and I remember taking her hand and holding it. Uh, and it's just, I, and I could be totally wrong about this, it's just something that I remember, and it was actually a great, uh, a great feeling. So you're acting, and you're getting a lot of work, and then uh, you're doing you're doing recurring like the commission stuff like that. When does Mad About You come on? Because I love that show. I was a big fan, and I know they're rebooting that. But your character was it was such a great character, and I think you know you just really lit up the screen. How did Mad About You come about? Well, you're very nice. Okay, let me tell you. First of all, I am. Uh, uh, I was only in one season of Mad About You. I was only in the first season, and then I got let go. Uh, Mad About You. Have you gone through pilot season? No. Have you ever done pilot season? No. No? Okay, in pilot season, uh, back then it started around the third week of January and finished about the first week of April. And at that time, uh, a network would order a certain number of comedies and a certain number of uh, hour shows, okay? Uh, let's say they ordered 14 comedies and 12 hour shows. And they would put all of this money into it and take a long time to make it. And then they would show it and test it out. And then they would, when they needed new shows, that's what they would stick in. This was one of those shows. Jerry Seinfeld had made a splash with uh, Seinfeld. And now Paul Reiser was going to get his shot. As a matter of fact, Paul Reiser insisted that they call the show Reiser. 
NBC insisted that they not call the show Riser, and NBC got their way. So when we finished the pilot, it was not, not called anything but love. It was called the Paul Riser Project, and it was going to soon have a title. And I remember pulling into the photo shoot like in August, and there was a sign that said anything but love. And I went, oh, my God. What a great title. And I ran in and I said, I said, I've got the title. I've got the title, Anything But Love, which was the title of, I, I'm sorry, not, not Anything But Love, Man About You. I saw a title, a thing that said Man About You. And I ran in and I said, it's Man About You. That's the title we should use. And they said, that's the title we chose. So it, um, Paul had wanted it to be Riser, but it was called Man About You. And uh, that was just one of the shows that got picked up. And at the time, you know, here I am, I've done, the show for Carol. I've done the Carol Burnett show. And now the pilot that I did this season was called Mad About You. All I had was success. Nowadays, it's really, they only pick three or four shows out of those 14 uh, half hours. I, 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 I didn't realize at the time just how lucky I was to be on a show that got picked up. And nowadays, it's even harder. I mean, it's the, the, some of these shows that shouldn't be on are on because, you know, it has one of the friends is on it. So they know they're going to have somebody tuning in. So it doesn't matter how good the pilot is. They're hiring the fame and the name of the actor. And then, you know, if it's good or they get a modicum of good ratings, uh, it'll stay on. Uh, so they don't they don't make a lot of new shows. But now pilot season, although pilot season goes on for network still, uh, new shows are happening all through the year because of uh, of the, the, the new uh, mediums, you know, because of streaming and Netflix and all of that. Now, so so these studios are now changing. Why did you leave Mad About You? Well, now you're getting to an area that's. Uh, a little hazy, and it's a little Rashomon. Uh, what ended up happening is I started off as a guest character on the pilot, and then I just kept being used as a guest. After about four or five episodes, I went into the producers, and we got made into uh, regulars, okay, so, which is uh, but with limited number of shows, so seven out of 13 uh, and, and, they, and I still am under contract. So I got more money, and I had the, the pleasure of steady work because I had a contract. And then my manager called, uh, you know, in March and said, is Richard coming back to the show? Yes, 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 Richard is coming back. So because of that, I went off, and I, I had my schedule, and I went, and I, I like to do theater. So I went to North Carolina, and I did a play. I did two plays, actually, because I had free time, and I was going to, you know, like be finished by by August to go back to Mad About You. And I remember it was June, and uh, my manager called and said they're not picking up your option. And I go, what, 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 what do you mean? They, they, they said that they would. And they go, they've, they've changed their mind. They're, they're, they're not picking you up. So that's how I left Mad About You. And more than you eventually. And so I didn't. Oh, no, what did you say? No, eventually you ended up on Spin City, which was a was a blessing because that was a hell of a show with a hell of a cast. Well, then, 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 then that was so. Then August came, and uh, and then the following pilot season, I auditioned for Spin City, and that was pilot season that year. And like I said, I was just lucky. The shows I was on got picked up, and Spin City got picked up, and I was 
very lucky, you know. I mean, I look, I bounced back, and I happen to love Spin City. I think it's a terrific show. And I love Mad About You. I think that's a terrific show. But, boy, were they very different. I mean, very, very different in style. And in, in uh, I mean, I was goofy in both of them, but they, they were just they were different. I was, I, I'm lucky. Yeah, that's what you're going to take away from all of this, is I am the luckiest man in the universe. That's, that's, if you want to learn anything about my career, I'm just lucky. But you have, yeah, but you have talent. I mean, because luck happens, but you have to deliver, and you constantly deliver. You're right. You got to be. You've you've got to back luck up by being there and showing something. It's just that, you know, there are great actors who just don't intersect with the great roles, and they were unlucky. I mean, on the flip side of it, I can tell you, I'm very unlucky. For instance, uh, I, I was on a great show called Luck. It was really, really good. It was for HBO, all about horse racing. Uh, it was a drama. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is in it. Dennis Farina, created by David Milch, produced by Michael Mann. What could go wrong? What could possibly, possibly go wrong? My luck is it wasn't successful. The horses died. Uh, I was just unlucky. I'm just unlucky. I'm in a, a movie now. Uh, a friend of mine made a movie uh, called, uh, oh, what's it called? I can't remember. But shockingly, Harvey Weinstein took a shining to it. He thought it was really good. Now, no matter what we say about his sexual proclivity, his taste in film and art is pretty good. Okay? He has a whole shelf full of Oscars because he makes good movies. This is a movie that he liked. I'm in it. It's not going to see the light of day. I mean, I hope it sees the light of day, but Harvey was going to take care of it. He was going to distribute it. I'm a little unlucky, you know? No, no, you there's, there's various things. Been... Uh, I, I was on a great show, a, a great show called Red Oaks. Have you seen Red Oaks? I, I'm going to start watching it because I, I have to get, I have Amazon, oh, but the, I have to get the fire stick because my TV is an older smart TV. And I just talked to my girlfriend about this. Everyone loves that show. And I'm a kid of the 80s. I went to college in the 80s. It's and, wonderful, right? Okay, you, you, you say that everybody loves that show. I'm astounded that you've heard of it. I don't know. It's so, it's such a good show. In fact, it's such a good, I mean, look, it doesn't change the world, but it's really classy. The acting, the stories, the way it's shot, shot by all of these great directors like Hal Hartley and uh, Amy Heckerlin. Uh, it, it, it's great. And David Gordon Green. It should have been great. Uh, Amazon just didn't sell it and it just didn't hit. You know, Jennifer Grey is in it, Paul Rises in it. It's wonderful. I just got unlucky. Nobody watched it. Everybody's watching Goldbergs and everybody's watching Stranger Things that take place in the 80s. They didn't watch ours, and ours is, you say, everybody loves it. I believe they do. I'm going to start just, watching it. Uh, you know, so, 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 so uh, oh, you'll love it. You'll, especially because you're an East Coast guy, you'll love it. Love it. Not like it, you'll love it. But now I got to watch it. Now, now, you say you're unlucky, but now, now look at your voice career. You've done so much voice work. How did you parlay into that, into the voice work? And it seems that you've been in a lot of great projects. I have a silly theory. Uh, my character on Spin City, his name was Paul Lassiter. And John Lassiter, who founded Pixar and uh, runs Disney, uh, runs, runs their animation 
John Lassiter's father and son is named Paul Lassiter. So I think that he just knew me because of this character that I played. So he watched the thing, and he liked me, and he put me in A Bug's Life, which was the second movie that Pixar did, and now I've done five five movies for them, and they're, they're wonderful. I mean, I mean, I am... I, I don't think there's anything I'm prouder of than my association with Pixar because they are the the way America should be run, uh, including our our government. Uh, they set out to make the best product they can, and they do, and they take a lot of time, and they put effort into it and money, and what it turns out costs a lot of money and makes them even more money. I mean. Inside Out. It takes four years to make. Four years to make a movie. And they studied it. They went to psychologists. They went to schools. They spoke to people. They, they wrote and they rewrote and they recast. And then they made a masterpiece. How, how lucky to ride the coattails of that machine. Now, what I'm is the luckiest guy around? What is see? You're lucky, and you're lucky. See, you're you're lucky. Now, what what is it like in the day of a life when you're doing a voice when you're doing a voice for a movie? How long is your day, and is it a lot of takes because you're nailing that character? And they have to, you know, it, it, you have to get it all synced up. What is it like as an actor to do that? It must be a lot of fun because you probably have a lot of leeway. It is. Uh, all right, let, let me. Okay. It takes them four years. Let's say I had eight sessions over a period of two and a half years. Over a period of two and a half years. So I worked eight days on the movie. Not that much. And especially when, when you're doing reading from the script and you only have a certain number of scenes, that's maybe four hours. So although I leave a lasting impression, it doesn't take that long. Uh, and I, I, I'll tell you a really quick story is, uh, boy, I'm mentioning somebody else who's uh, known for sexual harassment. Kevin Spacey is somebody that I knew. I had done readings with him. I had met him. So I knew him a little bit. And uh, I'm at this party around the time that Usual Suspects comes out. And uh, I, I had done a reading with him. I, I, I knew him. So and I'm, I want to go up to him, okay? And I want to say uh, how much I like him and that I think he's, he's terrific and I love him in Usual Suspects and blah, blah, blah. And I'm practicing what I'm going to say to him, how I'm going to just say, excuse me, Mr. Spacey, my name's Richard. And all of a sudden, there's a tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and Kevin Spacey's there, and he goes, you know, we play brothers in a movie. And I was shaken because it's Kevin Spacey, and I was saying, well, what the hell are you talking about? And then I realized <laughs> we played brothers in Bug's Life. We had scenes together. I never saw him. I never met him. Okay, so that's the weird thing about voiceovers, is you do all these scenes with these people, and you never meet them. Uh, so you go in for four hours, and you read with somebody who's there, and you just do take this way, and you go, you know what, I have an idea, let's do it this way. And maybe if you're clever or they'll respect your writing abilities, you say, can I change the line a little bit? And they'll say, yeah, try that. And they'll go, no, I don't think that works. I think you should go back to the original. Whatever it is, you just, you play. And <coughs> it can be tiring uh, because you're using your voice so much and you got to keep the energy up. I mean, at a high level and still 
keep it, um, how, can I, how can I say, you got to keep your energy up, but your voice low because the microphone is right in front of you. So it's a very contained energy. But I, I, I'm not going to say it's hard because it's not that hard. And if you're lucky, you're good at it. If you're lucky, your voice intersects with now, what the character is. Now you've, you've like, heard... did, did you see Inside Out? Yes. Okay. The scariest moment is when you find out you've been given this role and you don't audition. They just want you for the, for the role. So you go in the first day and and everything, but they've never heard you do it. And you pray, you pray that you, that what you are delivering is what they were expecting. And even more, maybe you can exceed their expectations. So that first take, if they just go, you know, we weren't really thinking of it that way. Could you do it this way? Then all of a sudden you go, oh no, but thank God they laughed. They liked it. They said, this is perfect. It's everything we wanted. And I was off to the races. But I got scared. I got scared at the, you know, at the first take. Now, you've done The Voice. You, you, know, you started off in the New York Theater. When did you start going back to Broadway? What was your first Broadway play? And then when did you get nominated for Tony? And that must have just an amazing feeling because you're, you're an actor. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I did a play, at least one play every year. Not a long run, uh, and certainly not a Broadway run. I was having got, I, I see everything on Broadway. I mean, there's there's not a show on Broadway I haven't seen right now. I see everything because I really love theater. Um, but I was 45 when I made my Broadway debut, and I was very lucky. I took over for Tony Roberts in a play called The Tale of the Allergist Wife, and it was great. I loved it, and uh, I went on. Uh, you know, I did Max uh, Bialystok uh, in The Producers on Broadway, and I did a show called uh, Sly Fox. I took over for Richard Dreyfus. I did a show called uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and then I did this uh, revival of The Big Knife by Clifford Odets. The thing is, when you live in New York, have you lived in New York? No, I lived 10 minutes outside New York for a few years, in Nutley, New Jersey. All right, so you, so you know just how expensive this town is. You can't live in New York on, on theater money. It's just, it's just too difficult. It's just, it's just, uh, uh the, the rents are too expensive. You go out the door and all of a sudden a hundred dollars is gone. I, I don't understand it. And now I have three children. I have a 16 year old and 13 year old twins. Kids anywhere are expensive. I, I can't live on theater. Would I like to? I would love it. So I go do either stock or I go to summer theater for let's say three or four weeks. I always, I, I do a play, at least one play a year. I, I have not, since I have started being an actor, there has, a year has not gone by where I didn't do a play, a play a year. Um, TV and movies are, it's really hard, but you've got to maintain and sustain a, a character over a, an arc of time. Okay, and if you go for one other for this to that, it, it's I think it's very difficult when you do TV. TV is all about making your day. You know what I mean by making your day? Yeah, just making it in time, and so you don't have to go into overtime. Right. You've got nine pages to shoot. We got to make our day. 
that means you've got to come there, and the most important thing is all of the words come out. If you're good, you're good for you. And if you're great, how lucky. But the important thing is get the pages finished. That's the important thing. That's not what acting is about. Acting is trying to develop a character, really learning it, and going over it, and you're trying things, shaping it, shaping what your arc should be, all, all different things. TV is all about, we got to get this finished. And uh, so, therefore, if you go do a play, you, you re just regenerate yourself. You know, you, you, you learn and you, you, you just become a stronger actor. Or you, I hope you become a stronger actor. So I like to do uh, plays like that. And I remember... I had just opened in Tale of the Allergist's Wife, let's say it was a Tuesday night. On Wednesday, there was some sort of event in Schubert Alley, and I was one of the people who was asked to get up there, you know, and, and you know, just either give a speech, or, I can't, or maybe auction something off. I can't remember what it was. And I... My opening line being, ladies and gentlemen, I am so proud to be here in Schubert Alley, because last night, after 45 years, I finally made my Broadway debut. And walking across the back of the crowd was John Lithgow. And he and I connected our eyes at that moment. And he just stopped and he put his arms up like, you know, like Rocky and, you know, with two fists and going, Grah. and I will always, always remember that moment because I was so proud to have made my debut, to have announced it like that, and then somebody of that stature and that talent to sort of, uh, uh, what, what's the word, to, to, uh, to just give me the affirmation. Acknowledge for you. A nice acknowledgement. Yeah, the acknowledgement, yes. And uh, so it's just something I always remember. I was really proud of it. And like I said, I just go on. You just, uh, I'd love to do plays. I'd like to do plays for the rest of my life. But these damn kids, damn kids. <laughs> now, now, what was your experience like on Curb Your Enthusiasm? Because I love that show, and it came, you know, what was that like? And it must have been good because that is some a little bit of improv too. Because they say they give the story outline a little bit. They just... it's, it's only improv. Everybody calls it ad lib. It's not. It's all improvisation. Uh, first of all, I loved it. Okay, I absolutely loved being on that show. Larry, at the time that he hired me, uh, all of the people on the show who were guests, if they were famous, they played themselves, with the exception of Ed Asner, because in the episode, the, Ed Asner's character dies, and he didn't want people to think Ed Asner had died. But everybody who, who came on and played themselves, and, and, and played the character they were playing themselves, he thought that Richard Kind was too famous. At the time, I had been on TV a lot more, but he thought I was too famous. My good friend Jeff Garland successfully convinced him that I was indeed not too famous and to hire me as Cousin Andy. So I was really happy about that. Uh, and I only did, in essence, I'd only done three episodes. Uh, one of them was a two-parter, so, uh, so, so you can call it four, four episodes. But that's all I did over the nine seasons. Uh, I've only been on four episodes, uh, but I just love doing it. Uh, the, first of all, I like Larry very, very much. He makes me laugh. He's very sweet. He's nothing like you think he is. We love talking golf. Uh, 
which is, you know, we, we, we talk like human beings. And uh, whenever I'm finished to take, I always look at him and go, is that what you want? Because I think that his genius is he's got it in his head, the, the story that he wants to tell. And so I just look and, and, and what you're really doing is serving the story. You may be really good at the character you're playing, but what you're doing is helping put these puzzle pieces together so that they form uh, this brilliant uh, mosaic by the end. You know, he, he, he takes different plot lines. Uh, I, I had asked him if he was ever, was he a chess champion, like a chess prodigy when he was a kid, because he always thought one or two steps ahead with his plot lines. Like Bob Newhart used to have two plot lines on his show, something that took place at the office, something that took place at home. Uh, Seinfeld had three. Something was happening to Jerry, something was happening to Elaine, and then something that was happening to uh, uh, Michael Richards. And they would intersect at the end, and each plot line would affect the other. They were not parallel plot lines because they intersected. Uh, Bob Newhart or any of those shows, they were parallel. And I go, how do you, I don't understand how you can do that. And he used to do 22 or 26 of those a year. Now, with Curb Your Enthusiasm, he, he does only 10 of them. But, again, they all intersect. And not only do they intersect in the episode, they intersect as a, as a ongoing 10-episode arc. I, I just think the guy is great. And so uh, your job is to help facilitate those stories to be told. So that's, that's what you do. And I love it. I'm, I'm astounded by, by what he does. Astounded. Is it a long day when you work on that show? Or is it really you go in and he knows what he wants and he just lets you have pretty much be on a playground and do... Wow, that's a good question. I think it's probably a long day. However, what you're doing is so fun and you surround yourself with such fun people that it is a short day because you don't want to leave. You're having a good time. Uh, you know, you're playing. You're, ma you're making these things up. I will tell you this. Larry, and you can see it a lot of times, is a big laugher. He just cracks up. He'll crack up at what somebody is saying. Susie Espin really makes him laugh. Uh, and, uh, and he'll crack up. I'm worse. Yeah. When we were doing, if, if you remember the, the Black Swan episode? Yeah, I've seen all of them. Uh, yeah. So there is an Asian man who is, uh, who has the four of us lined up, and he's berating us. It made me laugh so much, but all I kept thinking was Bridge on the River Kwai. And Larry was Alec Guinness, and I'm like, you know, uh, Jack Hawkins. And, and this guy is Sasui Hayakawa, and he's, and it just made me laugh so hard. I, I couldn't stop it. And Larry was laughing, and I was laughing. We were both breaking. And after 10, 15, 20 minutes, Larry stopped laughing, and I didn't. And Larry got angry. He just went, all right, enough, enough already. And they really got angry, you know, that I was cracking up during every take. But it was making me laugh so hard. Now, last year you were awarded a Carney, which listeners Carney uh -huh. for the character actors. And then you had, you know, Xander Berkeley, Wendy Malick, uh, William Fitchner and William H. Macy. How did you find about that? Yep. And what, what kind of, how does that make you feel? Cause it's, it's like a lifetime achievement award pretty much. I, 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 it 
it's not a lifetime. Yes, it is. It's like a Hall of Fame type of thing. Um, here's, here's what I say about it. First of all, I think it's a very worthwhile award. And I, I hope that they continue because there are so many great actors who are unsung uh, for their body of work. They, they're not paid financially what they deserve. They're not always treated so respectfully because they're, they're, they're the cock of the bricks, you know, of the, of the movie stars. Uh, and so it's a great thing. I was really honored. Uh, in retrospect, like I've been talking about, I'm lucky. A lot of the work I've done is good. A lot of the work anybody could have done. And then a lot of work that everybody else does, I go, God damn it, why wasn't I set up for that? I could have done that. I could have done a good job in that. But it's a body of work. I pray to God my body of work is not over. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I still consider myself a vital actor. Uh, but you get something like that, and you're, it's like a hall of fame. To be on the same stage with those five people, with those four other people, uh, so honored. I mean, so honored. Xander Berkeley, do you know him? Yeah, he's, you been know on, he's been on the show twice. He's a great guy. Uh, he's great. A great guy. Phenomenal actor. I'm going to tell you something. This is how pathetic a man I am. Somebody wrote a screenplay, okay? It was a good screenplay. The part that he asked me to do, a good role. But I live in New York, and he was having a reading done at the Writers Guild. For maybe a hundred people. Nobody there was important. Nobody there was going to give me a job. My guess is the movie will never be made. But I had a chance to work with Xander Berkeley because I think he's great. And I didn't know. This is way before the, the Carney Awards. I spent my own money to go out and fly to L.A. to do a reading something that people don't even do in the town that they live. They don't want to take a Monday night and give three hours, you know, to read it through once and then do it in front of an audience. I did. I said, this is great. I'll, I'll take this opportunity. I flew in to work with, with uh, Xander and his wife, who I didn't know, and she's equally as good. She's such a great actress. I, I, I really like acting. It's, it's a lot of fun for me. I'm, I'm just stupid about it. I, I, I do take pride in it. I take a lot of pride in what I've done for a living. And yet I didn't do it for anybody else. I just, I did it for me. I really, I get a kick out of it. You, you know, I, I, I'm, I, although I'm very old, if you ask me, I'm 42 and I'm <laughs> lying. I'm really 36. And even there, I'm 29. Okay. I really stay young. And the reason I stay young is look what I do for a living. I play pretend. This is what I do. Kids in the playground play pretend. They run around. They got all this energy, and they play pretend. CEOs don't play pretend. They got all this pressure to make money and do these things. I'm, I'm, I, I get to say, oh, look at you, look at you. You get to laugh all day. You, you get to say funny things. You get to, to be somebody else. It's, it's playing pretend. I'm, it's a very uh, uh, healthy living that I get to do. And I like being on set, and there are no people like so people. I just get to go play.
Now, if if someone said to you, Richard, is that the answer you wanted? That's a great is, is, answer. Is that the answer you wanted? You give great answers, okay. and then we say, now, if someone said to you though, and they said, Richard, mm-hmm. at this point in your career, if there was one role you could play, whether it be a type of person or it be Broadway, or what would you think would be the role that would sit there and you? Oh, would... I do, I do have the answer. I do have the very much the answer. Uh, is there a role that you can see and say, "Wow, I'd like to see you do that"? Me? Well, I think I yeah, think I think you, I think you'd be a good uh, a good a good criminal. I can't think of what role, but I think because you're. Oh, I have. I've done it. I've done it a lot. I know, I've but done I th- it, uh, quite a few times. But I can't think of a role um, off the top of my head. But what, what what is your answer to that? I can. I will tell you. Although he's not actually a criminal, but he's a horrible, despicable man. Uh, my the one role I want to play, and I know Tony Kushner, and I've asked him this. The one role I want to play is Roy Cohn in Angels in America. That's the one role I want because I re- uh, first of all I really want to uh, uh, live in that play and rehearse it. You know, when you do a play, you really get to know it. You become smarter. If you t- whenever I take a play, it, it's got to be something important because. There's so much time to it, uh, and, and you, you get to live in this and maybe learn and really expand your horizons. Like I did a play called Travesties by Tom Stoppard, and you know, Travesties took place during World War One or just after World War One with with uh, Lennon and uh, Oscar Wilde and uh, and uh, uh, Tristan Sara. It, it was a brilliant play. So I, I learned so much enveloping in that world. Well, I would love to live in the world of Angels in America because I think it's it's a brilliant play I don't, to, 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 where each line is so brilliantly written by Tony Kushner and this guy is just the devil. He's the devil and the devil has come to, to collect, you know, he's, he's, he's an awful, uh, you know, naming names and the communists is so evil and he hates homosexuals and yet is homosexual himself and then he's dying of the dreaded AIDS disease that hits homosexuals, and still he denies it. What an awful, heinous man. That's exciting to me. And that is what I like to wrap up my interview with. That was amazing. That's great. And, and, and you know, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on today. I, I'm a fan of your work and I really I really enjoy your work. And I, you know, and you, you say you're lucky and you're unlucky. Well, you know what? I think you're pretty damn lucky because, you know, you have, I think I am. you've had a great all, career. All in all, I got, I'm a, the, I, I call myself the smuckers of acting. If I got a face like this and still I get to work, you know, I got to be pretty good and I get the opportunity to do it. I'm just lucky that I look like this, you know, because it's a telegenic uh, uh, medium. And, you know, they, they go, I'm, I'm just, I'm a lucky, lucky guy. Well, Beautiful but, family, lucky. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And people, go IMDB, Richard. He has like over 200 credits, which is just, it's just I interview so many character actors. And when I see 100 and 105, you're like, wow. And when you see you know, a guy, and they don't even put his, his plays and his Broadway on there. So, you know, that's that's pretty killer. So go check out Richard Kind. And you tweet, I believe you're the uh, real Richard Kind. Is that your Twitter? Can I be honest? I don't really I, I mean I think it is I think it's real Richard kind it is and I only tweet I only tweet when I just had it up to here with Donald Trump 
and I've got to start being clever and start doing other things or, you know, telling everybody what I had for dessert or telling people that fries and gravy are really good. And then I'll start tweeting again and stuff. But, uh, you, you know, everybody's got an opinion. Uh, people listen to me too much because I'm loud. So, but yes, go ahead. Follow me. Watch follow him, people. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 670 episodes up there. You can email me, Cooper, at coopertalk.net. Wow. You know, who's your favorite? Wait, who's your favorite interview? I've had so many. You know, it, it goes, because I go from musicians to writers to actors. I mean, I've had Peter Melman on, you know, from Seinfeld. And I've had, you know, just so many different uh-huh. people that I can't. Yada, yada, yada. I can't. I, I yeah, play golf with them. Yeah, I can't. I can't even. I can't even say because i've just been blessed to interview so many wonderful people so people go check those can, can, what's up can you tell me who you were shocked you got i was shocked that i got ed asner so easy and that's when i recorded in a studio in la that took an email because i booked the, his pr clients guy uh, a guy named james dumont who's a wonderful actor and and i sent the pr guy i said well who else do you have and he wrote ed asner and i said hey can i get ed asner and he said yeah and i'm like wow i just got ed asner without even like lifting a finger ed asner's the easiest are you kidding first of all <laughs> it's an opportunity for him to talk right he's always got an opinion <laughs> and he likes to work as much as i like to work in fact i'm doing a role that he created called a man in his prostate down in Palm Springs. Oh, so I should say this. If you're down in Palm Springs, I think the weekend of the 22nd of February, I'm doing a show that Ed Weinberger wrote about his experience having his prostate removed. This is what Ed Asner did first. And I'm doing it because Ed can't do it. Well, there you go. It's all a big cycle. So. There you go. So I hop something. See there you go. Watch Red Oaks and come see me. Yeah, and people, so go see Red Oaks. I'm going to start watching it, but I have to get that fire stick because my TV's weird. But so people, go follow him. Follow I'll be curious me. what you think. I will. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll tweet you. And people, go to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. When I had my heart problem, I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 easy recipes. No pictures to intimidate you guys. It's cooking for one. You can sit there. There's not a lot of ingredients. So go to StopTheSalt.com <laughs> and order it. And you can get it at Amazon. But if you go to StopTheSalt.com, I make more money and I'll sign it. So people, check out Richard Kind. Check out Red Oaks. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you all next week.